if you wanted to tell the story of this place, our state, our city, you could walk into the Alabama Department of History and Archives and there you would find the lists of great names of governors and mayors, legislators and judges, soldiers and generals who have shaped the narrative that got us to where we are today. But you might also find in this place a few seemingly less important people who nevertheless are woven into the tapestry of our story. A blind and deaf woman who changed the way we think about disability or a poor seamstress who changed the world just by sitting down on a bus. It's all in how you tell the story. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, we find the archives, the history, the list of great names that forged the links leading up to the story of this man, Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and so on, right down through all the mighty kings of Israel. But running right through this typical list of fathers and sons, we find this one different color thread. Listen, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And then this one, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Matthew summarizes it in this way. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And so the story has begun, but maybe not quite the way we thought it would. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here, and uh, I want to say hello to all of you who are watching online and on television, uh, wherever you may be. Please stay safe. We're praying for you. For those of you in the room, uh, would you please give a big hand to our online and television audience this morning? I also want to say welcome if you are a guest with us for the first time in the room or watching online or on television. We've been praying for you. We pray for everyone who would come in for the very first time and meet the Fraser family. So know you've been prayed for. I want to say thank you this morning for the past couple of weeks. Pastor Neil and Pastor Ken have done a wonderful job of opening up God's Word and bringing it to us. And I am so thankful for these two men who have heard God's calling and have answered that call and live into that faithfully. And so thank you guys so much. I also want to say thank you to Mark Johnson, uh, who was sketching on the video that we just uh, saw, that sketch of Rosa Parks, which is actually on display out in the atrium, if you would like to see that. He's partnering with us throughout the series uh, as we move through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, asking the question, what would these characters that we're reading about, that we're studying, uh, what, what's a modern-day version of that? And so, so thankful for him and his talents. I also want to say that uh, coming out of Thanksgiving and going into the Advent and Christmas season, I just want to acknowledge that um, sometimes the holidays are, are hard, very hard. Especially for those of you who this year, maybe you're walking into the holiday season and it's the first year maybe someone who you love dearly is not going to be with you. 
Uh, that, that's tough. That's very hard. So, so many have experienced death and loss and divorce, different things that change up our family dynamics. As we walk into these joyous times of the year, they can actually be very, very challenging. Uh, but I believe, and what makes me thankful, is that God is faithful. And he gets us through these seasons. All of us are experiencing some kind of loss in that we're going into this holiday season in a pandemic. And everything seems to have changed. Even in my own family, you know, the gatherings, we, we could not do the things we normally would do. Uh, but again, God is good and he is faithful and he is going to get us through, yes, even this season. Uh, each week as we go through uh, this 20-week sermon series... One of the things that we want to keep in front of us is that we are kingdom people. We want to be a church that fulfills the Great Commission by living the Great Commandment. And, and to keep a kingdom vision, one of the things we're going to do as we go throughout this series is pray for another local church and their pastor here in the River Region. And so this morning, we have the honor of praying for Pastor Ken Austin in the New Walk of Life Church. I know Pastor Ken. He is an amazing man. He and I have sat together in meetings uh, with things going on in the city, whether it be with the governor or mayor or other pastors. He is just a wonderful guy. We've prayed together in downtown. I'm so thankful for his friendship, but I'm also very thankful that God has placed him here to be a pastor in this great city and I'm also thankful for his church and so as we go to the Lord in prayer and prepare our hearts to receive what he has for us this morning let's lift up Pastor Ken Austin and the New Walk of Life Church Lord we come to you right now and we are so thankful Lord we, we do we say thank you for the kingdom many kingdom expressions that are in this whole region and Lord today we lift up Pastor Ken Austin to you we pray that you would inspire him Lord, we pray that you would keep him safe and protect him, that you would bless his family. And Lord, as he leads in these difficult days, Lord, I, we pray that you would give him wisdom from heaven. Lord, we thank you for his church. Lord, we pray your blessings on them as they continue to live out and seek your kingdom, that it would come right here on earth as it is in heaven. And now, Lord, we ask that you would help us in this moment by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts that we may receive what you have for each of us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. This question is not the beginning of a bad joke, but what does a forgotten family member, a former prostitute, an outcast widow, and a woman who had been abused by a person in power all have in common? The short answer is that they all played a very important role in the birth of the one that we're celebrating this season. Every one of them, their stories matter. To a Jew in the first century, these names would have stood out like a snowman on a Florida beach in the middle of the summer. By including their names in Jesus' genealogy, Matthew, the writer of the gospel we're going to be studying for 20 weeks, he tells us, he strikes a tone from the very beginning, that this Messiah that's coming is going to be a very different kind of Messiah. The one that was about to enter time and space and, and make his home on this planet, at least for a little while, was going to be a very different kind of Savior. 
If you just look at the genealogy, it reveals many things. I'll point out a couple. Number one, the, the genealogy reveals and retells Israel's story. It starts with Abraham, the one to whom this promise was made that one day there will be this land and one day there will be this people and one day there will be this Messiah that comes from this land and these people. And then it moves on to David in that part of the genealogy. David, who was king, who inhabited and led and ruled in the promised land that was made so long ago. And then the genealogy moves into exile. That ultimate destination for all of us whenever we fail to listen and follow God's ways. But then it ends with the coming of the Messiah, who is the only hope of the world. So what looked like simple names on a page or showing someone's pedigree, it's really retelling Israel's story through the stories and the lives of these people. Not only is it retelling a story, it's telling us that this is a real story. This is a very real story that these names have not been picked through and somehow edited out to make the soon coming king's family look a little more holy. In fact, this is not a sanitized genealogy. And this is not a sanitized genealogy because we do not have a sanitized savior. Jesus, the one that was coming, he was not going to be just the savior of the good enough crowd. He was not just going to be the savior of the, well, those who keep enough letters of the law crowd. Jesus was not just going to be the savior of those who show up at church loud, although I'm glad you did. Jesus was and is and will always be the savior of them. The savior of of them. We all have a them category, don't we? There's a category of people who, in our minds, we're not sure, at least on some days, we're not sure that God could love them. And even if God could love them, on some days, we're not sure that God could save them. Them, they are the people who you're probably not going to bring home for Christmas dinner. They are the people who, well, you don't want to see them in the morning when you're taking the dog for a walk. They're the people who we tend to try to avoid at all cost. We drive by them and we read their signs. And they, they say, hungry, will work for food, tagline, God bless you. We see them on the news and, and we read their signs on the news. Some of those signs read Proud Boys or Black Lives Matter. We see them in movies. Some of them live in silence in the mountains of Tibet. Some of them are worshiping local gods in villages in Nepal. Some of them are wearing head coverings and they live in the Middle East. Sometimes them, they are depicted as violent Sometimes they're depicted, depicted as passive. Sometimes they're depicted as somewhere in between the two extremes. But we've all seen them. The truth is we all have a category of them. Many times we have a category in our mind of those people. So back to my original question. 
What does a forgotten family member, a former prostitute, an outcast widow, and a woman who had been abused by a person in power all have in common? Short answer, they were a part of Jesus' story. A little bit longer answer, they were all in Jesus' family. They were all in his family and they would have been in somebody's category of them, of those people. Their names, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. The very mention of Tamar's name, her story is quite scandalous. You can go back and read it in the Old Testament. But the mention of her name tells us that Jesus was coming for the forgotten. You see, Tamar was supposed to be under the care of her father-in-law whenever her husband died. Her father-in-law did not take care of her, and she had to resort to trickery to simply make it through life and to get her father-in-law to actually do what he was charged with doing. The mention of Rahab's name tells us that Jesus was coming for those who had, well, been pushed aside by society. Rahab was a Gentile living in Jericho, and since foreigners were many times kept at arm's length from normal functioning society, she had to resort to selling her own body just to make it by. Ruth? Ruth shows us that Jesus was coming for the outcast. After traveling with her mother-in-law, back to her hometown of Bethlehem, Ruth, again a Gentile, had to live at least for a little while as a person who begged for the ingredients to make simple bread. Not to mention, she professed to worship and love Yahweh, Naomi's God. However, being a Gentile, she probably was not allowed to worship in the temple, at least in peace. Bathsheba, her name is not mentioned directly she's referred to as Uriah's wife but the but her name being in there or her mention being in there tells us that Jesus was coming for those who had been taken advantage of she was summoned by King David to his bedchamber which is a request you would never deny a king and Bathsheba saw her world turned upside down when not only did she become pregnant but she also received the news that her husband had died in battle not to mention her husband's placement in the front line in harm's way which led to his death was at the order of the same king who got her pregnant again this is not a sanitized genealogy and anyone who opens up the first page of the New Testament and thinks somehow this has been constructed to make Jesus and his family and everyone look good, well, they simply do not know the backstories. All kinds of things play out throughout the Old Testament, and God works through all of them leading up to this moment when the Messiah comes. But all four of these women, their names being present here, even though they would have been put in someone's category of them or those people, when God decided to advance the announcement of the news about his son and our Savior, God wanted Matthew to write their names into this story. You see, 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
Those who, who spoke on behalf of God, just like the writers of the Old and New Testament, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is why 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is good for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, even list of names. But notice that all scripture is breathed out by God, which tells us that God wanted these women in this story, and he wanted you and he wanted me to know their names. The very presence of these four names, I think, tells us many, many things. I want to focus in on one it's very simple, but it's very important, I believe. The presence of these names, again, teach us many things, but chief among them, I believe, is simply this. And it's what I want to start this whole series with. It is simply that God's love is not limited. God's love is not limited. And oh, how we struggle with this one. We do. You can sit there and act holy all you want to. We struggle with this one. Oh, we do. We struggle because, well, our love is very limited. Very limited. We love based off of attraction. We love based off reciprocal service. We love based off of niceness, however we define niceness. We love based off a of common interest. We love based off similar status in society. And yet God loves very, very different. While we're measuring people through the lens of likability, trying to see if we like them or not, God simply sees each and every one of us. He looks at you. He looks at you. And when he looks at you, love erupts in his heart because he sees someone who is created in his image and in his likeness. And when God looks at the person beside you, he's, the same thing happens. Love erupts in his heart because he sees someone that's created in his image and in his likeness. And when he sees them, those people, whoever they may be, when God looks at them, yes, even them, love erupts in his heart. And he sees people, again, created in his image and in his likeness. But it, again, we struggle. We struggle for two main reasons, or in two ways. Uh, number one, we, we struggle to receive God's love for ourselves. And we struggle to receive God's love for ourselves because, well, when you look in the mirror, you know you, don't you? You know your faults. You know your failures. You know your faithless actions. And so, so many times we struggle with this idea that there is this God who could actually love me. Not only do we struggle to receive God's love, but we struggle to give God's love to others. And we struggle to give God's love to others because, well, we know them or we assume we know them. We assume that we know their faults and their failures and their faithless actions. And what happens is, is that on both sides, whether it's about receiving God's love or giving God's love, pride is the thing that holds us back. It's pride that holds us back and keeps us from receiving God's love for ourselves in any given moment. It's pride that holds us 
back that keeps us from giving God's love to other people. And so what we do is we, we try to create a category, a standard, and we put a label on it. And the label is lovable, lovable. And so we start working. And we work as hard as we can, as much as we can. And the way we work is like this. We work based off what we believe is right and wrong, or at least the big rights and the big wrongs that we agree with. And so we start working. And we start trying to do more good than we do bad, or more right than we do wrong. And whenever we get ourselves into the right or the good category enough, we go to God and we say, okay, God, I believe I'm lovable now. As if God needs your permission to love you, right? But then we do this with other people. We start looking at other people and we start seeing, do they measure up to my standard of right and wrong, or at least the big rights and the big wrongs that I agree with? And so we start looking at other people and measuring other people, and in different ways and in different words, we start trying to figure out, are they lovable? Are they in the lovable category and whenever someone's in the lovable category we we okay God I give you permission you can love them now it sounds silly when we say it that way doesn't it but so many times that's how it functions day to day for us am I in the category or are they in the category of lovable and we need to remember God does love completely different God's love is not based on the recipient. God's love is based upon the original referent, which is God himself. And we need not forget that it's God who created this thing called love, which means the God who created this thing called love is the only one who owns the legitimate definition of this thing called love, not us. Not us. It is God who says that love is unconditional. It's without condition. It is unmerited. It's God who says that love is something I give without caution. It's something that I give without judgment. It's something that is pure. It's something that is perfect. It's something that is untainted from the throne of heaven. This is the way God sees it. And again, it's not based on us, the recipient. It's based on who he is. Now, we must be careful here. And I want to be very careful. While the presence of love does not reveal the acceptance of any given behavior, whether it be yours or mine, because we have to remember there's a sinner up here preaching, right? The presence of love does not reveal the acceptance of any given behavior. That is true. But the presence of love, when we see it, when we experience just how much God loves us, it does radically change our perspective regardless of our behavior. That's why love is the one power that can melt the hardest heart. And it's melted mine many times, and I hope so for you. When we see this God who loves us with an eternal and everlasting love, when we see that this God right here, right now, loves us eternally, we begin to see how that the Tamars and the Rahabs and the Ruths and the Bathshebas of the world are special in God's eyes. And right here from the beginning of the series, I want to say this. 
If we're going to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we have to come to grips with the fact that the kingdom that God was coming to establish and the kingdom that Jesus has established is a kingdom full of them. Full of those people. And what a beautiful thing it is. You may be here today and you may believe you're in that lovable category. You may actually put it this way. You may think, well, you know, me and God, we're on good terms. Things are going good. I'm walking with God. I'm walking in his will. I'm walking in his ways. The relationship is strong. If that's you, I say congratulations. That, that's good. I want us all to be there. I want us all to be in that place where we're walking in God's will, walking in his ways, where the relationship is good and right and strong. I want that for each of us. But what I know about a room this large with this many people and what I know about all the people who are watching online and on television that if you put a number together like this, then there's normally a whole lot of people that do not feel that way. Oh, we may mask it really good with our Sunday best and our Sunday smile, which we can't see because we're wearing masks, right? Or our holy nod, hey, yeah. But the truth is, is so many times we feel like somebody's them. We feel like we've been overlooked. We feel like the way we put it, life has dealt us a bad hand. For some of us, we walk into the room today and we realize that in recent months, we've been forced to make decisions we thought we would never have to make. You may be sitting here living with a feeling of betrayal or feeling like you've been forgotten, left to manage your life, what feels like on your own. Again, you may be here, you may be watching on television or online and you feel like you're somebody's them. If that's where you are, I want to say congratulations. And I don't mean that flippantly. What I mean by that is that you're in really good company. Because you're in the same company as some of the family members of the Savior of the world. And even he himself, as we'll discover in this story, found himself there on different times, in different places, and on different occasions. But if you're there today, what I want you to hear me say is simply this. It is that your qualification to be a recipient of the love of God and your commissioning to be a distributor of the love of God has been granted to you by a king who can never be dethroned and that love is absolutely unlimited unconditional and unmerited my challenge to you is this it's simply this no matter how many times you've walked into this building or maybe this is your first time no matter how many times you've tuned in online or on television or maybe this is your first time no matter where you are my challenge to you is this. Please do not leave the room. Please do not shut the computer or turn off the TV. 
Please do not do that until you come to terms with the fact that the King of kings and the Lord of lords loves you with an eternal love that can never be taken away. Again, I did not say that God accepts any given behavior on your part or my part, but he loves all of us. And just like the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write the names of these women, in this genealogy, in this family tree, that countless people would read for centuries to come, just like God inspired Matthew to put these women in this genealogy, in this family tree, he also wants my name and your name in his family tree. And my challenge is that you not leave today until you know that you know that your name is there. And what gets your name there? His love. His love. Amen. Father, I thank you because right here, right now, we as broken people, as hurting people, as lonely people, are in desperate need of your love. Lord, for all those who are here this morning and they are truly walking in your will and walking in your ways and they have utmost peace about that, Lord, I, I say thank you. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and put people in their path that need to experience that love. Lord, but for those who are here, for those who are watching online and on television, and they feel so far from you, they feel like love is a, a distant, bygone thing that's written about in books. I pray that they would experience it right here in this moment. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, they would know that they are loved. Eternally loved. Or may we not leave the service and just go through our normal routine without receiving your love again or receiving your love for the first time. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. And we pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said,